First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You are tuned in to what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, 4 Z, be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music... Which my mum prefers. Just search <laughs> for our show name, which is, of course, no idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak all things science are some of my favourite science communicators. Can I please welcome back into the country, V? Hello. Good morning. <laughs> and down in Sydney, streaming in, we've got our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist, Peter. That's me. And our ecologist, Gabe. <laughs> Morning, Mac. <laughs> Look, your ecologist has a very not ecology story a little later on in the show coming mm. up. Have you seen the Apple Vision Pros, Max? I have not. You haven't seen anything. You okay, haven't fantastic. seen them. <laughs> We're oh gonna get into. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk about what's going on with them, what's behind them, and some of the responses to them mm. a little later on in the show. Yeah. Peter's also got some stuff on uh, how clownfish really don't seem to like stripes. They don't like clownfish. Or other clownfish, hmm. uh, and a whole bunch of other signs coming your way, including space news, F1 wrap, Max, because okay. the F1 is now rapidly approaching, and there's <laughs> uh, a lot going season. on. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is starting to be crazy season, yeah. uh, and a whole bunch more signs coming your way over the next two hours. What is the independent variable that makes no idea tick? That's what I want to mm. know. You tuned into 4ZZZ, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, V, Peter, and Gabe, and it's time for a bit of this. <laughs> Who wants to kick it off this week? Me. I want to. I want to talk about marine science. Go oh, large. getting in my double shift today. <laughs> Talking about some weird marine science. Mm. And I wanted to ask, does anyone remember when we were debating whether octopuses can count? Mm. Yeah. So we were talking about how... Oh, how yes. And I thought they, they something's count in an octal system rather than a decimal yes, system. <laughs> An interesting, interesting question. <laughs> but we were talking about how it's actually really difficult to tell whether something is counting or whether it's just doing uh, another behaviour that we're thinking is counting. Hmm. But, 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 some research has come out from the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology. QS ranking, guess anyone? Oh, it would be um, 128. Mm. 311. I'm going to 240. 
Honestly, all of you could be correct because it's not actually published, nah. but most likely it's in the thousands. Okay. Um, Okinawa, if you don't know, is a very small island, very south of Japan. It's like the Hawaii of Japan, so it's a small institute. However, they've done some very cool research here with some clownfishes. Mm. So to those of you who have not gone diving before, you might think that clownfish are really cute. They're like Nemo. They're sweet. They're funny. Yet they're not in reality. <laughs> in reality, they're aggressive little buggers. Highly, highly territorial, and they don't like anyone getting close to their anemone. One of my personal diving mates has had a huge chunk taken out of one of his fingers mm. because he wasn't looking, and one of them just swam up and bit him. You're they joking. are incredibly aggressive. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. Just imagine that. It's very fun. So the researchers, it, it, we're not actually that bad, though. Like, we're pretty lucky because they don't hate us that much. Who they really hate is each other, like members of their own species. They'll share their anemone with different species of clownfish sometimes like other anemone fish but never their own if it's their own species they will bully the hell out of them and not let them sit in the same anemone so this got the researchers wondering how on earth do they even tell whether a fish is their own species is, is another species or an intruder from their own species like mm. how do mm. they know that because they look fairly similar they knew that species living in the same area tended to have differing numbers of stripes so one species has one number of stripes and has another number of stripes and they figured that, that might be the key. So this is what they did to test it. They actually raised a bunch of their own common clownfish, which is orange with three white stripes on the side. It's the Nemo kind. And they bred them to ensure that they had never seen any species but their own. They'd only ever seen each other. And once they were about six months old, they started filming their reactions to other species as well as members of their own. And as they predicted, they got very, very angry at their peers, facing off at about 80% of the common clownfishes. And the other species were lighter off. But what's interesting is that the commons, which is the one they bred, were actually nicest to the orange skunk clownfish, which has no lines on the side and only one down its back. And they mildly bullied the Clarks and Saddleback clownfishes, which have two bars and three sometimes. So it seemed like the more bars, the angrier the commons got. But, you know, you have to prove that. You can't just have all these different species in there. So they did what any respectable researcher would do, and they made these little models. So they're like little orange fish, and then they had one with no bars, one with one bar, one with two bars, and one with three bars on the side. And that was it. The fish with no bars was rarely bullied, whereas the single bar got a nip from time to time. But the three-barred versions, these fish were pissed. They were bullied intensely by the common clownfish, which also have three bars. So essentially, they think they seem to be counting the bars on the side of the fish. And well, if it equals their amount of stripes of three, then it's game on. Was this study sponsored by Adidas at all? <laughs> Adidas fish. <laughs> Maybe Adidas should do a Nemo collection. <laughs> That'd, That'd be cute, cute don't you think? Yeah. I'd buy it. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'd buy it, but I'd buy it. Weird science guy, what do you got? Oh, I've got perfume that might scare <gasps> away elephants. Oh, what? Oh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, a type of perfume. It's it, it the broad classification of perfume in mm. that any sort of liquid that smells. Smells like uh, a shotgun. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because some research at a University of Sydney, QS, of... Oh, we should know. It's 23, this. isn't it? University of Sydney. Yeah. yeah it's the same as uni, uni, nope. New Zealand. Oh, 19. 19. We're 19. Oh, oh. 19 so close. Now. Uh, they've just developed a scent that stopped wallabies and probably elephants from eating little seedlings. Uh, and it may, yeah. So the, they've used repellents before, which may work and may not work. The chili oils are things that have been used. People have used bees before. There's lots of like natural repellents being tested to keep herbivores away from 
restoration areas as well as farmlands and other places where you want to reduce herbivory mm -hmm. from animals around the area. Uh, this time they tried something different though because those methods just... They kind of work and then they don't work some of the time or the, the herbivores just learn to get around it and find new ways to get at the stuff growing on the other side. So they looked to the plant world for some help. They looked at a plant that they knew had an odor that herbivores don't like. It's a type of shrub, shrubby citrus and these herbivores associate it with a the smell they either can't or just don't want to eat because it's not nice, it's just unpalatable. And then they received, they recreated rather that odor and placed it in five small pots around eucalyptus seedlings that they'd planted. So they took this scent and they put it into some five little pots around a eucalyptus seeding, seedling. And then they planted a bunch of other seedlings without the protection around them as well. And the seedlings that had these little pots of fake plant perfume deterrent stuff were at least 17 times less likely to be eaten than the seedlings that had no protective odor pots. They also planted some eucalyptus seedings and surrounded them in five real plants, the same citrus shrubs that they took the, the scent from. And it worked as well, but the odor they recreated had the same effectiveness, virtually the same effectiveness as the actual plants themselves. So the hope is this method can be refined, simplified and used to help people restore natural areas, potentially in farmlands as well, without thing herbivores like feral deer and wallabies eating them in a, the Australian context. And this guy who's been behind this research, a guy called Patrick Finity, has been, has been doing his PhD on this. He's also wasn't part of this published research. This is unpublished, but part of his PhD. He did use the same odor against elephants by setting up these big like Y-shaped uh, walls that they made the elephants walk through and one side had the odor and one side didn't. So it's a very, usually you do a test like this, they're called like Y-tests or Y-tube tests. You often do them for insects um, mm. to see which which tube the insect flies okay. down to see insects which one it likes or doesn't like. Similar. So they've mm. just recreated this at an elephant <laughs> scale of making a Y-shaped yeah set of walls and made the elephant choose which one it wants to walk through and it seems to choose to walk through the one that doesn't have this odor so potentially this plant perfume could uh could could deter elephants wallabies all sorts of herbivores mm. from grazing on plants we don't want to be grazed on brilliant there you go thank you really and we're just trying to get izzy into the room for this next weird science we're going to be talking apple vision pros we've got some marine science about blue and fin whales and some weird stuff that's going on in their worlds coming up uh we've got f1 news which is heating up and some space news i've got some stuff max that we sort of uh missed last yes. week because we were all caught up about ingenuity um so i've got some news about it it's uh cousin oh, the, the yeah. perseverance the, rover that take big a few discoveries few it's snaps. made snaps yeah true it has taken a few snaps a yeah. few underground snaps but anyway we'll get into that later on in the show but let's, right now let's Max, do part two of this. let's do it <laughs> So I'm thinking the average age of the No Idea team, excluding me and Talia. Excluding outliers. <laughs> is around 25. So a question without notice. If I was to ask, could you give up your smartphone for a whole month? And if so, what monetary value would you put on that? Jesus. As in I get paid to not do it? Yeah. Do use it? it to, oh, to hand yeah, it in, to lock it up for a month. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100% if I'm getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> How much? Yeah. What's, the, what's the dollar value? Well, I use it for work, so I'm going to just do like, you know, it would be like a month's worth of my salary. Really? Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'd take that. Okay. Well, there's, apparently it's this Icelandic yogurt company. They've come up with a Siggy? figure. 
which they think is sufficient, is ten thousand US dollars for one month, which is fifteen thousand K in Australia. Mm. Oh yeah, I'd take it. Yeah. yeah, that's way yeah. more than I was. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Serious? yeah. 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 Cool. So is is Sydney? Are they offering? <laughs> it's a competition that you have to enter, and you have to write a short essay explaining why you need a digital detox in your life and how it will impact in your positive in a positive way that aligns with their company's philosophy. And if selected, the contestants will then surrender their phones <laughs> the company philosophy <laughs> to a lockbox for a month. But get this, you're in luck, Peter, because they give you an old-fashioned phone, which you can still make calls with and do the texting using the numbers and all that nonsense, like an old oh, Nokia. Yeah. <laughs> I had one of those in high school. And they throw them in the <laughs> SIM that? card as well for a month. Oh, no Damn. And give you oh, 15 wow. grand. A SIM card? Yeah, you would be in on that. Yeah, I'd be kitted out. No, I'd be I'd done. Yes, that's it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's basically my weird science. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not, very, it's not really that weird. From a yogurt it's, company. I just nice wanted to hear so, some sort of numbers, but you guys were offering up any numbers, that, even though it would be less than the 15K, you reckon? I think if you get yeah. a phone anyway, yeah, then, yeah, I, I think I would value that less than 15K, so I'd happily take the 15. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, yeah. I asked my son and he'd say $1,000 would do it. I, I yeah, yeah, I reckon a grand is the lower limit. Yeah. And yeah. then mm. enough to like buy a new phone at the end of it, really. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that fits in there with their company <laughs> That's philosophy? That's not the point. That's not the point. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you should be worried, Max, because if we, if we get a robot that just sits there and laughs, you're basically obsolete. Oh, you're just you tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is no idea with me, Max, V, Izzy, Gabe, and finally our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist Peter. What do you got for us? That's me. Well, actually, I don't have anything for you yet. You have to earn it. I want everyone to give me your best blue whale facts. Go. The biggest they animal on planet Earth. I was going to say that one. Swallow a grapefruit, but that's it. Anyone right? else? Don't they have like certain pitches? For their calls, Ooh, signatures. Probably, signatures. I don't know. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'll look that one up. Gabe actually stole mine because my favourite one is the fact that their circumference, the circumference of their throats, is roughly. The Sorry, size of there was no, there was nothing on the the crossed off list. Yeah, oh, no. 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 <laughs> everything was fair game. When it's an open mic, Peter, this is what happens. Mm. Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's good to have the same. Fun fact, I did think maybe as a cohort we'd have more knowledge about blue whales, the biggest animal to have ever lived on this earth. But you know what? That's fine. That's cool. They're still very cool animals. Maybe next week we can regroup and have some more cool blue whale facts. <laughs> <laughs> and next week you will have a very cool fact because this week some research from the University of Toronto, QS ranking. Uh-huh. Oh, Toronto. 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 I feel like we had this recently in Ohio. <laughs> 30. Oh, really? Other guesses? 73. 70. 21. Oh, oh shit, really? Good. Yeah. University of Toronto, QS uh, 21. With disrespect. Published some research that revealed a secret in the Atlantic blue whale's DNA. Specifically, they have a, quote, previously unknown and potentially alarming level of hybrid DNA. So what is hybrid DNA? It's DNA from other species. But how do they get this? They're just a little bit freaky. So <laughs> I'm not lying, that's what it is. Loving the science today. 
<laughs> yeah, it's lots of science. Scientists have known for a while that blue whales occasionally hook up with fin whales. <gasps> and sometimes these partnerships result in babies. Despite, by the way, blue whales being about 77,000 kilos heavier on average. So, bit of a discrepancy in size there, mm. but they go at it anyways. There's some great Dana Chihuahua stuff going mm. on here. Right, like I do, you have to wonder whether there's like restrictions <laughs> on who's who in this partnership. <laughs> but apparently this has been, this isn't new, it's been around forever. We also just know generally about interspecies babies. That's not new either. Like genetic hybrids have been around forever. You may even know some of them, so I'm going to quiz you. What do you think the following genetic hybrids are made of? The liger. Light Lion tiger. tiger. That was in um, that was in that pandemic tiger show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they had one at Dreamworld for yeah. a while too. Like okay, they're sure. not actually that uncommon likers. Then we have the zonkey, zebra donkey, zebra donkey. <laughs> correct. Uh, a really fun one here, beefalo. <laughs> Please tell me that's a cow and a buffalo. Cattle and buffalo. Beefalo, which is really fun. <laughs> and then my personal favourite, the pizzly bear. <laughs> Oh. What is that? A polar bear a and a grizzly bear? bear. Yeah. A polar bear and a grizzly bear. Yeah, really funny. Bear. Her name is Val. If you're wondering, the first part of the name is the dad and the rest is the mum. So if the dad's oh, okay. a lion and the mum's a tiger, it's a liger. If the dad's a tiger and the mum's a lion, it's a tion. So, or a tion? Lion. Tion. Yeah, sorry. That was really screwed me up for a second. But regardless, the whole process is just two distinct species coming together for God knows what reason and making a living, viable baby. And this is, I think, much more common than people really think. Like, these interspecies hangs are happening everywhere and their babies are too. Like, some notable oceanic mixes are the wolfen, the dolphin, and in one case, a narluga, which was a narwhal and a beluga. But the reason these aren't more common to the point where we're like all chatting about them is because a vast majority of these offspring are actually infertile. Which sorry. Means they go, yes. Sorry. A narwhal <laughs> and a beluga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like just the horn, is it just a horned beluga whale? There's no pictures attached to it. I genuinely don't know. I also don't know whether they saw something that looked like a beluga with a giant tooth. Or, and they were like, hmm, that's weird. Or if they were like, I don't know what happened there, but they know, they did confirm that it was a narluga, um, which also, by the way, remember, means the narwhal was the dad and the beluga was the mum. So interesting. But so for the majority, they can't reproduce themselves. So that's like, you get one liger, hmm. that's it. They're infertile. They're yeah. infertile, they're done. It was just a weird coincidence. The mum and dad are like, whoa. Let's not talk about that again. That weird was one weird up. night. We got yeah. really screwed up. And then it, it's sort of over. But while it's certainly true for some, it's not for all. Like, for example, dogs and dingoes mix all the time to the point where we now have plenty of wild dogs in Australia with a mix of DNA. Mm. And we also now know that it's not true for flus, which, by the way, is the adorable name for a fin whale, blue whale hybrid. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> unless unless the dad was a blue, in which case it would be a bin whale. Um, um, yeah. Yes. Anyway, flu whales, because that's the nice one, hmm. apparently look just like really big fin whales with a bit of a weird jaw shape. But from the DNA of the blue whales that these researchers were looking at at the northern Atlantic, the researchers can tell that they actually probably are a lot more fertile than we previously thought. 
because we can see a lot of fin whale DNA within the blue whale DNA. So these blue whales are running around with fin whale DNA within them, which in reality means that the flu whales, the, the hybrids, mm. are fertile and breeding in their own adulthoods with blue, blue whales, which gifts that fin whale DNA back to the blue whales. And I find it really interesting because in bio, like when you're doing it in high school or early uni, one of the first things you're initially taught is that the definition of a species is a group of animals that can reproduce fertile and viable young, which these genetic combos, which are from two different species, are clearly doing. So we end up having to shift and change our definitions a little bit here. Because like we established, this isn't new. This is actually a type of DNA sharing called introgression. But what's interesting for the flus, at least, is that blue whales have fin whale DNA, at least in the Northern Atlantic, but fin whales don't have blue whale DNA. Like, nothing we've found has blue whale DNA. So either size really does matter for the flu whales <laughs> and they only want to breed back with blue whales, or there's something else going on that we don't know. The researchers also pointed out that there's pretty little evidence for these blue cross fin partnerships outside of the Northern Atlantic, which is a little weird. Like, they don't really know why. If I'm going to throw in a guess... I'd say it's maybe because it's cold and they wanted to cuddle. That's right. Or maybe That's because there's so few blue whales left. They just got lonely and desperate. Mm. And a few drinks too. <laughs> Standards <laughs> just dropped. Ended up in the wrong bed. <laughs> <laughs> but despite those strange mental images, this uh. may actually be good news for the blue whale. Because their numbers are so reduced, scientists have been really worried about inbreeding and the size of their gene pools. But it kind of looks like they're trying at least to sort themselves out. Now, it's not the same fix as if there were more blue whales, because introducing another species DNA, yes, does increase your gene pool, but it kind of decreases your portion of it. So it could be good, but they also think, it, while there's no, there's no evidence that it's detrimental to the blue whales at this point in time, hmm. the researchers do want to like put some caution around, like we don't want them to have too much fin whale DNA, because it could mean that they become less resilient to things like climate change. But yeah. Whales are freaky, mm -hmm. and so are many other animals. Because yeah. dinosaurs did not go extinct. We know that. No, not dinosaurs, many dinosaurs went extinct, but mm. dinosaurs did not go extinct. We have them all around us. They're called birds. Yep. <laughs> I just like to really lay down the law there. As a marine scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a marine scientist, I'm here to talk to you birds. about birds. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The fish of the And it may have, not been a, yeah. may have not been a meteorite. <laughs> 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 you tuned into four triple z and the show is a no idea with me max izzy gabe peter mv what do you got for us um so i'm coming in this week with another story about the wonderful biology of plants it's not really a recent research story which i know is what we usually do but i was just really inspired by the story that izzy kindly covered for me last week if you missed it she talked about a tree fern species in panama that was reusing its dead leaves that dripped down to the ground as straws for sucking up extra nutrients. Pretty cool stuff. If you want to listen back to it, you can find the last week's show on 4ZZZ.org.au or on our weekly podcast. Anyway, this week I want to talk about the incredible pressurized ventilation mechanism on the Spatterdock lily or Nufa lutea. It's got a bunch Whoa. of common names. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I always like break out the scientist story. <laughs> um, it's got a bunch of common names. Bullhead lily, brandy bottle, yellow pond lily. But I don't really expect any of you guys to know them because we don't get them much here. They're mainly native oh. to like Europe, Northern Africa, or like Western Asia, that kind of region. Anyway, it's a water lily and it has a pretty typical biology. Um, 
being that it grows from a rhizome, which is kind of like a root or a tuber that is down in like the anaerobic, you know, pond bottom environment. And then it's got stalks that come out of that and, you know, that sort of bloom into flowers or leaves on the surface of the water. These leaves and stalks are held up on the surface by spongy cells full of air, which continue all the way down the stalk. And they act like kind of built in life jackets. They kind of just maintain the buoyancy of the leaves. And up on the surface, the leaves absorb sunlight and oxygen, which the plant then has to pass down to the rhizome sitting in the anaerobic pond bottom down below. Now, for a long time, plant scientists thought that this was just done through simple diffusion, which is where the oxygen molecules slowly drift from a region of high concentration up on the surface down to the region of low oxygen concentration underneath. And that's like a very slow, inefficient kind of, you know, passive process. But that's Mm. not actually the case. What plant scientists have found is that the oxygen is actually pulled through the rhizome by capillary networks that are connected to new and old water lily leaves. The air spaces in the new leaves are really like tight and bursting full of air because they're newly developing. And in contrast, the older leaves have looser air spaces because they're all like torn up and tattered because they're mm. old. And decrepit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> decrepit. <laughs> this essentially creates like a low pressure region in the old leaves where oxygen is released. Oxygen and like other gases, I guess, is released into the atmosphere. But that also relevantly pulls on the air being absorbed by the young leaves. And since the old and young leaves are all connected by the capillary network through the rhizome, the process of oxygen moving along this pressure gradient actually oxygenates the rhizome in the process. Huh. So rather than just like regular old diffusion the plant actually creates this pressurized flow through system that forces oxygen deep down below i essentially learned about this in braiding sweetgrass which is a book by robin wall kimmerer who is an amazing native american ecologist from the potawatomi region and she actually describes this ventilation mechanism as the plant kind of like breathing almost inhaling Mm. oxygen through the young fresh leaves drawing the breath down into the rhizome and then exhaling it back up through the old leaves which i think is just a very beautiful way of characterizing it and quite effective quite accurate too i think so like our diaphragm does pretty much the same thing it creates a vacuum that we then like when you breathe in that's your diaphragm Mm, drawing in it physically pulling in the space and creating a vacuum Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. pressure. It's a pressure thing. So that does make perfect sense, actually. Yeah, they're just like us, really. <laughs> <laughs> just like us. Just like it makes us. me feel oh. bad about chopping off the dead fiddle leaf leaves in the house. Your fiddle leaf, our fiddle leaf is not a, a lily. It's not a water but lily, Gabe. But it's not yeah, a water okay. lily, so but just it, do it. it. Could other plants be doing this? I, like, I don't think it's something people are checking much, right? I think like you, plants you see a, a dead leaf, you're like, there's a dead leaf. I think plants do a lot of cool things that we just don't notice because they're plants. Uh, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I don't know. We can coexist with them. And like your last two stories have been a fern, like its leaves die and they become new ferns effectively by growing into the ground. And these lilies, the leaves die and they become like a crucial part of how they get oxygen. I just, I don't know. Mm. Should I be cutting off dead leaves? Are they dead <laughs> leaves or are they just like <laughs> part knows? of the plant? As against your stories, Gabe, where you're pumping electricity into the soil or or putting synthesizers. (laughs) Or noise, yeah. Screaming at plants. Shoving speakers underground at at 80 decibels and making fungi grow more. Why not? Okay, we're all excited. No idea, team. For the bit of this. 
Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to four triple Z just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I won't keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand that mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out and away we go. Now, Gabe, were you planning to going to the Argentinian MotoGP this year? In, oh, in you April? know, I forgot to book my tickets again this year, Mac. But they, well, they, it's not on anyway, so I just thought I'd warn you about that. So oh, there we no go. need to book. F1 <laughs> Ferrari has partnered with veteran Italian ocean navigator and pioneer Giovanni Soldini who just happens to be the same age as me, and they're calling him a veteran. So <laughs> what's going on with that? Oh, really nice, actually. Like, <laughs> quite generous. They want to design and build a marine-going vessel under the name Ferrari. No word on what the partnership will design or build, but it's pretty... Can it co- interbreed with a fin whale, mate? Well, that's right. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's, it's going to be a boat car. Wouldn't that be good? You're just a driving your red car. Mean boat car. Yeah, you just you drive it on the on the water and on the land. So anyone who Lotus. boats knows <laughs> like one of the Lotus. best types of boats <laughs> yeah, sure. is a Yamaha. Oh, I forgot to And Yamahas are made by instrument makers, so I think a car maker might just be a little bit closer exactly. to a boat maker. <laughs> And I forgot to introduce my sons here as well, Max. Sorry about that. Yeah, yes. big Ferrari news gets me out from behind the Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about what's happened at Ferrari and who's well, going to be uh, joining them for 2025? It's very big news. Lewis Hamilton has announced a shock move to Ferrari mm. for the 2025 20, season, and it sounds like the contract will go through 27. Oh, wow. And it's like okay. a $300 million deal? Something like that, yeah. I think it's like 100 mil a year or something. Yeah, yeah. Something very I think, casual. Yeah, the rumours I saw were 100 million per year US, uh, which sounds like an awful lot. But then their stock price went up 10, percent which is in the several billions of dollar range. So I think they're going to afford it money already. <laughs> <laughs> that means that Carlos Sainz Jr. has to leave the team, and so he's looking for a drive in 2025. No word where he's going to end up. Is there mm. at the moment or not? I, I think the rumour is Sauber. Right. As part of the Audi transition. Uh, it sounds like Audi are gearing up for a Sainz-Hulkenberg reunion. Ooh. For Audi. That'd be good. Yeah, for Audi, yeah. Because they, they pretty well want a German driver on board, wouldn't they? So yes. Yeah. Think and they, so. they actually tried to buy Hulkenberg out of his Haas contract. Right, okay. For this season, but they couldn't do it, so... <laughs> really? Is he worth that much? Yeah. Okay. Well, again, I think it's just so they actually do have a German driver. Because yeah. that's... They, that's sort of their angle against Mercedes. It's like, we've actually got a German-built e- engine. We're a German team based in Switzerland, but we're German. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to a, a British-built engine in England. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the, um, and, of course, the knock-on effect is because Lewis is going to be starting at Ferrari in 2025, it, the first race of the season will be in Melbourne. So we get to see... <gasps> In 2025? Yes. Yes. Tell the really? story about that, Maxie, why we get the uh, opening race for 2025. Well, they had to uh, give it up, I think, because there was a scheduling conflict with the Saudi race, if I'm remembering correctly. So they had to run Bahrain and Saudi first. And then as part of the contract renewal, they get guaranteed... I forget the number off the top of my head. Melbourne but gets guaranteed. Number, yeah. Yeah, guaranteed opening position in the uh, calendar. For a certain number of the current contract, which goes to 20, 
32, I believe. Right. And they said, and luckily we got 2025. So that worked out really well for us. Really well. So, I mean, we've got to admit, like, Melbourne has the most tifosi out of Italy. Like, yes, like true. the Ferrari yeah. colours are just going to be, it's just a sea of red. It's going to be, um, mm. it's going to be unbelievable. You don't even have to attend the race, I don't think. There'll just be just Ferraris everywhere in the streets and everywhere. everyone wearing red. Because mm. yeah, it's so funny when you're down in Melbourne and you go on the bus and we, we go from the northern suburbs down to um, Albert Park and just a sea of red just hops onto the bus. <laughs> <laughs> All in uniform. They just love the team so much down there. Mm. Now, the sprint weekends has been agreed on by all the teams now. And I'll just run you through a normal Formula One weekend. You generally have your free practice one and two on the Friday. And then on the Saturday morning, you get a free practice three. And then in the afternoon, you do a collie for the main race, which is on the Sunday. Well, a sprint weekend changes up a bit. But it, they're doing it a lot better than last year. This time they have free practice one on the Friday and then they have the sprint qualifying on the Friday afternoon. And then on the morning, Saturday morning, they do the actual sprint, which is like a race that lasts a half an hour. goes for about 100k. And then they go for qualification in the afternoon and then the race on the Sunday. But there's a high-risk strategy here because... Mm. If you want to try and win some points in the sprint race on the Saturday morning, do you risk ruining the car before qualifying for Sunday's race? Because potentially you might bin it and then you might have a car to qualify with, Mm. but the car might be ready for the Sunday's race, but you'll be starting at the back of the grid. Maxie, you got any more to add on that one or...? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be exciting from, like, a viewership perspective, but I do worry, as you're saying, about, like, the sporting implications. The idea that, do you go conservative? I I think that's the worry, that the teams will realise that, well, actually, the points are on Sunday, realistically speaking. Mm. Because it's it's, it's a maximum of 10 for, for the sprint, right? Versus 25 for the race. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe you'll see teams further down the grid taking bigger risks, ones that maybe aren't going to be able to capitalise in the race anyway. And who cares if they and can't qualify in that Saturday afternoon? They'll just front up on the, exactly. on the Sunday. It's, yeah. it's the same difference. Yeah, 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 true. Okay, NASCAR. If you're into NASCAR, this is like the American sort of version of the Super V8s we have in Australia. You're in luck because Netflix has dropped a new doco series called NASCAR Full Speed similar to Drive to Survive. It's a five-episode series, and it should whet your appetite before actual NASCAR racing begins on February 18. Aussies and New Zealanders alike have a vested interest in the 2024 season because we get to see three-time supercar champion Shane Van Gisbergen, or SVG, get behind the wheel of his number 97 WeatherTech Camaro full-time this year. He won't be racing in every NASCAR race because he still has to earn his oval license, which he will do concurrently via the NASCAR Truck Series. You looking forward to that, Gabe? Uh, yeah, because it's going to be... It's cool because we've got a, a supercar driver over in NASCAR mm. uh, and he won his first track race that he did on last debut. year yeah, on debut which yeah. which uh, ruffled some feathers which is what you want to see in the NASCAR <laughs> <community>. <laughs> uh, so it'll be fun to see what happens this year that's right now the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report and we've got could Valtteri Bottas be in contention for a shock Mercedes return team boss Toto Wolff left the door open and appears the Finn Jeez, how many times are we going to hear that word today? Return to his old stomping ground 
to tease a reunion. Bottas played a key role in the glory days of Mercedes, driving alongside Hamilton during 2017 to 21 and helping ensure that all five constructors' crowns were claimed by Mercedes easily, unlike Red Bull, where they had trouble there. No, Bottas left the team at the end of 2021 with Russell getting the call-up as his replacement. Then maybe Mercedes chapter is not finished yet for Bottas. Uh, taking to Instagram, Bottas posted a picture in his story of him playing darts with Brackley. That's where they build the Mercedes. Or to where their home of the F1 team is. And pinned as the location, plus another social media post with him next to his phone, awaiting perhaps for a call from team principal and one-third owner of Mercedes F1, Toto Wolf. Now, you've got mm. some other knowledge about this, Maxie, about the Mercedes team. Maybe they might pull out of F1 once Hamilton goes. Yeah, these rumours have been floating around for a while now, with the idea being that um, Ineos, who is the title sponsor mm. of the Mercedes uh, team, uh, along with uh, Petronas, they are one-third owner of the team currently. So the team is owned in equal shares by Mercedes-Benz, Toto Wolf, and Ineos. Mm. So the thinking was that Ineos would take up uh, Mercedes-Benz ownership of it and then own the team, um, 66% of the team. The- I, think, I think the fact that they've given up Hamilton and, or clearly not putting a compelling offer in front of them to prevent him going to Cause, Ferrari... Because they didn't I want him to be... Is- they, they didn't want to make him ambassador for some reason. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He, and, and whereas Ferrari is happy to offer that to him, an ambassadorship, uh, support for, uh, how do you say, like philanthropic ventures as mm-hmm. well. Uh, whereas Mercedes was uh, unwilling to give this. So I think it's potentially indicative of how the Mercedes board actually views Formula One at the moment. Yeah, exactly. In, in terms of that they're, they want to keep it at arm's length and perhaps uh, divest out of it and perhaps, mis- uh, perhaps Go McLaren. yeah. Or maybe, yeah, but they pulled out a Formula E as well. Yeah, okay. And they gave that to McLaren, so perhaps the board would see McLaren then maybe as the works team. Yeah. They, yeah. It sounds like they want to keep Bricksworth, which is where they build the engines. They want to keep that factory, definitely. Mm. But Brackley is a bit up in the air. Gotcha. Now, should we talk about Roman Grosjean? He famously uh, got out of his Formula One car. Now, V, I know you're interested in this. <coughs> yep. Judy Sill. Tell, tell us why you like Judy Sill so much. Judy Sill, um, she's this like sort of old American folk singer-songwriter from, I think, mm. that I um, was really, really into for a while. I still yeah. am. Yeah, I yeah, still yeah. Am. Just don't have her on rotation as much. Why? Why do you ask? Of course, uh, his nickname is The Phoenix, and Judy Sill sums it up like this. The name is The Phoenix, and you know The Phoenix is uh, a mythical bird that uh, is consumed by its own flames and then rises out of its own ashes, you know? Anyway, Roman Grosjean has Aww. been... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for, like, including me in right. <laughs> He's been YouTubing about who will replace Lewis Hamilton at mm. Mercedes for 2025, and he has suggested Williams driver Alexander Albon. Yes. However, he has also ju- suggested there is a case for... Seventeen-year-old... Seventeen-year-old <laughs> <laughs> Andrea Kimi Antonelli, who is highly rated amongst the Mercedes team. The Italian prodigy has been involved in Mercedes Young Driver program since 2019 and has won all the junior categories. Ahead of the 2024 season, Antonelli has been promoted from F4 right up to F2, mm-hmm. skipping the F3, where he, ex- he 
is expected to shine. If Antonelli does impress in F2 this season, and we'll get to see him down in Melbourne, so that'll be interesting to see, Mercedes boss Toto Wolff could be tempted to take a huge risk on him to replace Hamilton. And this would be, I guess, the next Max Verstappen-ish sort of story, where Max famously came from F3 into F1, and you're not allowed to do that anymore. Yeah, he's got a very impressive portfolio, Mm. this young driver, who, might I add, born in 2006, (laughs) which is crazy. (laughs) That scares me. That's crazy. But yes, uh, it would not surprise me if we see his Mm. name start popping up in the headlines more and more. I think people do forget that there is like a whole pipeline system as well for these types of things. So whilst there is a bit of a silly season right now, as the No Idea group chat was popping off with like... (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> Hamilton's moved and then <laughs> Carlos Sainz also like removed yeah. his Ferrari highlight like yeah. it's it's that time where we're like we're checking yeah. in with the headlines I think we need to see more of these kind of younger drivers coming through because yeah. that, that's how it all begins mm-hmm. everyone starts somewhere yeah, so exactly. seeing some fresh meat on the paddock would be amazing everyone happy with the motor wrap this week any any more to add a wrap two to more the wrap, points Max. two more points yeah two, oh, two, two more, more points. points yeah two more one's very quick happy birthday to Pierre Gasly Twenty-eight <laughs> years old now. <laughs> Born when? Yeah, and and what? I think we've actually missed the biggest story of the week. No, oh, what is that? Yeah, you know where this is heading. It's out of Williams. Mm. So oh, you know I, the, I do know where it's heading. <laughs> yeah, so you know how all the Formula One cars have uh, what's called the multifunction display on the wheel. So if you've watched any onboards, it's it's <gasps> yes. where like the gears are displayed, brake balance. It has all the information that the driver needs uh, to effectively pilot the car. So, most teams integrate this multifunction display into the wheel. Williams, however, mounts this effectively where the dashboard would be on a regular road car. Mm. Ah, like a Tesla iPad thing. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A bit more centre, so it's yeah. like directly behind the wheel. Yeah. And they have a They finally put it on the wheel. They put it on the wheel. They put it on the wheel. Hey. Welcome to 2015, where every other team did it. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Williams. I saw that Reddit post and everyone's like, ah! <laughs> Anyway, that's it for the motor wrap this week. What have you got for us, Gabe? What I've got for you is uh, a question, but a little, a little bit before we get to the question, because mm. I think five days ago now, the Apple released its latest thing. It's a moment that most people feel will be another forgotten te- te- tech product, but I think a small group of people think will be a moment that changes things in a way similar to the Mac computer and the iPad and the iPhone. It's called the Apple Vision Pro and I'm sure pretty much everyone has seen some sort of photo of it now because it's such a photogenic thing. (laughs) Uh, Such a beautiful item to wear. If you haven't seen a picture, it's an overused joke, but it really would only be welcome on a ski field this thing like, <laughs> everywhere else it looks out of place like it feels like you're a, a mouthpiece away from jumping in for a snorkel it's just like this massive set of goggles that you wear on your face if you've seen any other vr ar whatever combination mm. of letters you want to use goggly things it looks very similar to them uh like i've got an old very old oculus that's probably like five six seven years old that you put your phone in and it looks as clunky as that does, really, with <laughs> yeah. some rounded edges. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not to mention is a battery you have to strap to it, too. So you get a wire yeah. sticking out of your head going into a battery <laughs> that sits in your pocket. <laughs> so funny. Uh, and yet. Yeah. You can fit it in your pocket, and actually. And yet. Yeah. Well, uh, well the if battery. You're a woman, if you're a woman, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't have pockets somewhere you screw. <laughs> definitely male designed. Despite this. 
Apple has reportedly shifted 180,000 units on pre-order already, which is somewhere in the order of well, they're five and five thousand four hundred Aussie each in US yeah. dollars uh, equivalent, and and so that's 970 million AUD in sales. That's actually surprising allegedly. to me that it's not bigger. 180,000 no, units. No, okay, but like I'm an Apple fan. I have been in the Apple like atmosphere for ages and one of the things they do really well is convincing everyone that they know what's best. Yeah. So Gabe, you might go into this later, but like one of the things I saw when this first came out was pretty much everyone was like, it's ugly and I don't like it and it's big and it's bulky. But if Apple has done it, that means that it probably will succeed because they have the money, the time and the resources to research whether it will. Mm -hmm. They don't put things out unless they're confident. Yeah, yeah, which is why they've probably shifted 180,000 units yeah. of them. If you do want to get one here, there's no date on where it's on sale anywhere outside of the US. You can get an imported US version for about 6,350 bucks. Don't do Australian that. dollars online. Whether or not a device actually ends up at your door after you spend that money <laughs> is anyone's guess. Uh, and, and yeah, like you mentioned, there's been very different user responses uh, with some people just sort of fanning over it because it's the next Apple thing. Other people just discarding it because it's another and not the first attempt at an augmented reality, virtual reality uh, goggle set. Apple's not calling it any of those. It's got its own it buzzword, ER which is reality. now it's called spatial something, spatial oh, reality or spatial. Yeah, no, that makes yeah sense. They've, they've made up their own <laughs> word for it. Uh, and so, yeah, but, but, but what I would say is that we've been down this road before with something called Google Glass. Mm. And I'd say the response to this product, the Vision Pro, which I'm seeing some great faces from Izzy, who I think is looking up images of this thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would say there has been less outright backlash, even though it is by far an uglier product. There has been yeah. less outright backlash against this and the Google Glass, which was just uh, to recap Google Glass, mid-2014, Google released this thing. It's called Google Glass. Similar idea to what the Apple Vision Pro is, but created as more as like a futuristic pair of semi-normal looking glasses with an extra chunk in one corner that was a lot of the hardware, including a camera and something that projects onto the, the lenses of the glasses a bit. I think it projected onto the glasses. They stopped selling those after 18 months. They then tried again, I think in 2019 and it didn't work again. So they've mm -hmm. had Google tried twice to do a, a version of normal glasses that has a uh, some extra stuff built on it mm. to sort of act as a screen and a camera and and project changes onto the, your normal vision yeah so we can yeah and and do stuff that way whereas the vision pro apple's version is a very different take where you put on this set of goggles everything you see is taken from the cameras on the front of the goggles mm. and then projected onto or, or moved onto a screen inside the goggles so you don't actually see anything real quote-unquote everything mm. is coming through the cameras onto your screen and then there's uh for this this version of the apple vision pro the first version there's then uh like a weird little s screen on the front of the mm -hmm. goggles which takes a, <laughs> a version of your eyes a likeness of your eyes and a as, as it's reading your eye tr eyes and tracking your eyes inside the goggles it's recreating a version of your eyes on the front of the goggles for people looking at you. Oh, they stop actually Ew. They put a LiDAR sensor on the inside of the goggles specifically for this. So I'm pretty sure it has LiDAR on the outside as well. But when I when this first came out, there was a thing that said, there's LiDAR on the inside. People are like, why is there LiDAR on the inside? The LiDAR on the inside is so it can map the shape of your face 
to try and make it more accurate. There have been rumours within the Apple community that it, it should have been see-through. Like when you see all the promos and things, it looks like what they're trying to make it look like is that it is a see-through piece of glass and people can see your face through it like giant goggles. But people have speculated that maybe that technology did not come into fruition yet because we can see that they have patents out on those exact things, but it probably just didn't get into the point where they could put it into these goggles. So they thought the next best thing would be to put a screen on the outside yeah. and make like, Ew. it's almost a cartoon version yeah. of your It, it is a cartoon like version avatar. of yourself yeah. because yeah. They, they, you, one of the first things you do is you take the camera you make, it images your face and it makes a cartoon version of yourself, which you can then project into other people's rooms to do weird like VR FaceTimes and things. Uh, but to get to my question, my quest specific <laughs> question I had for the room yeah. was if you think this uh, Apple Vision Pro will outlast the 18-month shelf life that Google Glass first did. Yes, I do. Uh, I don't like it, mm. but I do. They'll just bring another version out and they'll just keep perfecting it. Yeah, it's, th- this is the thing. This is what I was saying. Apple has... Apple doesn't put something out if it's going to fail. Did you know they've been working on a car for like 20-something years? I'm looking at it now. And they haven't even put out oh, like bits yeah, of it because yeah. they refuse Ew. to until they know not only it's good, but more that yeah. it's marketable. There's no... So yeah. I don't... Like, as I've gotten older, I think Apple, we all agree, has gotten less good. It's not what it used to be. Yeah. But I still think they hold true to that principle of if they're selling it, they know people are buying it. With the car, they because they wanted to have sel- full self-driving. They wanted to be yeah, autonomous did. number five. But now they're, they're happy to release it as number three. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And they'll probably... I think they saw Tesla yeah. run over those children. <laughs> 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 pull pull, pull back a bit. leaves us a yeah, little bit open right. for yeah, litigation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Mm. I, I think it... I don't know if it'll get to the 18 months because they'll probably release another one. Yeah, that's, that's the right. thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, we'll get to yeah, the yeah. one that's year and be like, oh, don't worry, we've got the V2. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it was like yeah. Apple Watch where they intru- introduced a bunch of new like mm. features exactly. and then just released another one a year later that was like, oh, but now it has heart rate monitoring and things like that. So I think yes, but no in that sense. Like it won't be, I remember the Google Glass first time round. Mm. Um, a lot of people were like, at least I people that I know from the journalism industry crack that, use it as a teleprompter and things like that. So mm. people made a way to make it work, but that was like seen as a commercial failure. This mm. people will buy anything if Apple puts it out. That's yeah, the thing. I've just Gabe called me out on my facial expressions because I was just watching that video of the guy driving mm. with the Google Glass on. <laughs> and I've seen so many TikToks of people going to the gym and yeah. having the Google Vision Pro on <laughs> and cooking and, and it's just like I, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Just wrong. But, yeah. yeah, I think we'll see We'll see another one of these of, in, inevitably pop up. Okay. I was surprised because there's a lot of research that says, like, after the Google Glass failed, people were like, well, one of the things I think we've talked about on the show before is it's a psychological thing. Mm. If you block your face and you block your eyes specifically, people just feel innately unsettled like it's a, it's not comfortable it doesn't feel right there's also you know vision problems from long-term use not that you don't get that with the phone or a laptop but right in front of your eyes is not fantastic and so people are like oh well, you know google clearly failed there because they didn't take these things into account i think the difference now is that a people have gotten more used to wearables like that's a much more normal thing to have is constantly having technology on you and around you I still don't love the over eyes. It definitely unsettles me. I saw a video on TikTok the other day of two people sitting at a cafe, I guess chatting, but they both had their Apple Vision on. And it was like, that's just, it was creepy and weird. 
But I, I just, yeah, I think it goes both ways. First of all, Apple knows they have fanboys who are going to buy everything they, they put out, but they also don't put things out unless they know that there is some market for it. So I just, and I, I think we're honestly getting more used to it now. Mm, I'd mm. say the social social awkwardness factor is probably worn off a bit, maybe helped by the pandemic. I think the yardstick for me will be how many of those roughly 180,000 people are using it in a few months from now. Because there's sort of three what reasons you'd use it. One is because it's something novel and new, which is why I think a lot of, especially reviewers who are setting the scene for all this stuff, are just excited mm. that Apple hasn't put something out ridiculously boring and dull again. Uh, so the, uh, it's, there's a novelty factor, which will definitely wear off. Then there's, does it fill a need? Like the iPhone filled a need of, mm. it's your phone. So even if you don't like the bugs, you still have to use the thing because mm. it's your one and only phone on the mm. go and internet source. Uh, which was the the third thing, which was to create new things that we began to need, which is like Google Maps on the go and and other internet access on the go. Um, and I don't, I, that's the bit that I'm not sure if it's going to do. I think no one really knows if it's going to do, if it's going to set that. It's definitely not going to have a, a, a definite need. It's not replacing anything that mm. we can't go without. So it's got to sort of create a new need for itself, yeah. uh, which there's, I'm going to wrap this up, Max, so we can get to space news. But uh, for me, I feel there's a few things from some reviews I've watched that I think are what those needs could be uh, beyond the novelty aspect. Part of that is uh, for meetings and and screen extending, whatever you open up. So when you're working or uh, when you're gaming, you can have meetings with the people sitting there with their AR, uh, AR VR likeness as a chatting with them. It's very sort of seamless to have meetings with people while you're doing work with them. Uh, and the other is then that you can sort of put open up a laptop in the middle of a cafe or when you're traveling or something and have extended screens mm -hmm. all around you like you do when you have your setup at the office or at home. Uh, and you, can, uh, you, can't, you can't detach from that at the moment, but you could with this goggle have virtual screens next to your MacBook. Uh, and then I think there's potential for it to bring up a need in enhancing some of our mo mundane parts of life. There's some fantastic concepts that just r random people are posting of what this thing could do, like gamifying vacuuming your house uh, <laughs> by like making, you know, like making coins all over the ground and giving yourself mm. a little, like just dopamining yourself up to do chores. Oh, uh, <laughs> and then there's all these ideas of how it could Sick. help with, with travel. Like at the moment when you're doing commuting on a train or a bus or taking a flight, it's often horrendously boring and you don't feel like pulling out a laptop or something like that. So this could serve us really well in those instances where we're not really interacting with people anyway. And it's sort of a boring part of a lot of people's lives at the moment. And I think it could also be really useful for like the next step in translation work because we're like already so many people are using Google Lens and things like that to mm. see a translated version of what's in front of them. If you could just have it on a screen in front of your face, it would be pretty useful for a lot of people in um, unfamiliar contexts. But yeah, I'm gonna, I think, wrap it there because I don't know, we need, well, we need to wrap it there because we have to do space news next time. <laughs> but uh, if you have any more thoughts, our text line is 0420626733. And we'll follow this, I reckon, and follow it up in a few months and see how the Apple Vision Pro's usage is going and anything that's come up in the meantime. We have to do a bit of this. No idea. Space news. I actually get to play this for realsy this week. As if we haven't been playing that for realsy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't usually play it during Ingenuity. Mm -hmm. But this is actually a Space Force bit of news. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Let's hear it. So they were formed four years ago 
and the US Space Force has yet to send a single person into space and they cook, <laughs> they call their people guardians but that's guardians. all set to change yeah so unserious yeah wow. seriously so in August they're going to send someone up to the ISS to hang out for a while and hang then out. <laughs> <laughs> defend them against yeah. so finally the space military arm gets to have a presence in space there you go. Do they need a degree in rocket science? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wonder out. if they take a weapon with them. That'd be interesting. Surely that's against <laughs> one of the ISS's many rules. Especially like an international branch and then the US chunk and the Russian chunk. There's yeah. got to be some sort of armistice available <laughs> on ISS. <laughs> get online. They mm. get to the door and they're like, check your weapons. Weapons, please. <laughs> the PACE mission, spelled P-A-C-E. E is scheduled to lift off from Cape Canaveral today. It's also known as the plankton. You like this, Peter? Do you like plankton? Plankton, aerosol, cloud, ocean ecosystem spacecraft. That forms PACE. And what does that spell? That's right, PACE. Carries three instruments designed to study the ocean as well as clouds and aerosols in the atmosphere. Ocean Colour Instrument, or OCI, the primary instrument, will provide information on ocean colour from ultraviolet to infrared wavelengths. It is accompanied by the hyperangular research polarimeter or HARP2 and spectropolarimeter for planetary exploration, SPECS1, which will provide data on atmospheric clouds and aerosols as well as support atmospheric correction of ocean color data. PACE has a design life of three years but has enough repellent on board to last a decade. A key focus of PACE will be studying phytoplankton on the ocean Love surface. Them. That includes mm. being able to differentiate among phytoplankton species. Ooh. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. We can kind of do that a little bit by using different wavelengths. Mm. But to have something be more dedicated to be it. Really good. Yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Now apparently this month is meant to be solar maximum. Do you know what solar maximum means? Probably it's pretty hot. Very, the sun, lots the and lots closest. and lots of sunspots on the sun's oh. surface. Ooh. Oh, and oh, the only oh. way they can tell is to look back t- at six months of data before uh, February twenty-four, and six months ahead to see if, in fact, February was the solar maximum. So we'll find out in September. And finally, the private moon lander developed by Intuitive Machines. They're calling it the IM-1 mission will be launched on a SpaceX rocket on the 14th of Feb and should arrive on the moon on February 22nd. The lander is called Audacious and will try to make history becoming the first ever private spacecraft to land softly on the lunar surface. To land softly? Softly. (laughs) And hopefully upright this time. (laughs) Be the first private aircraft not to crash and burn. (laughs) Audacious is carrying 12 payloads. Uh, six are commercial and six are NASA science instruments. And that is it for the space news this well, week. Well, Max, it is absolutely not because oh, I yes, definitely sorry. launched some extra space yes. news with you beforehand. Yes, you did. Uh, which was that from last week, let's go carry over from last week because we were also caught up in the very dramatic loss of Ingenuity, the Mars helicopter, uh, that the thing it arrived in, the Perseverance rover, at the same time uh, some research came out from it that was a pretty major discovery, which was that it's been for several months driving over what looked like an ancient massive delta on the surface of the red planet. Delta mm. is in big 
big water body full of streams and, and sort of wetlandy area. Uh, and newly released images taken by ground penetrating radar on board Perseverance confirm the crater uh, it's in was once filled with water. That lake of water deposited layer upon layer of sediments down on the floor of the crater. And then by comparing uh, measurements from different parts of the crater, the researchers and engineers back here on Earth say the lake then shrank and the river that fed that lake started instead filling this big delta. Uh, so, and eventually that over, over eons, they say, which is, you know, we're talking 3 billion years ago is the earliest sediments they were looking at. Um, that water then eventually dried up. Uh, and that's just a fraction of what it's, it's uncovered from this imaging it's doing underground of, on Mars, in this crater on Mars. But it means Perseverance has locked in even more evidence that there was once a lot of water on Mars. Mm. On Earth, everywhere that there is water, there is life. So there is a big excitement now about the cause that Let's Perseverance will allegedly <laughs> return to Earth at some point in the future to see what traces could be in there. Very I love good. a good core. You tune into 4ZZZ and the show is no idea. Signs out, Gabe. That is all we have time for on this week's show. Thank you, Max and V and Izzy, Peter and Maximilian for your stories this week. You can catch the whole show on the 4 website and you can catch a condensed version without the music on whatever podcasting platform you use. Just search up No Idea. That's No with a K or No Idea as Max likes to call it. We'll be back in your airwaves next Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. See you then. And we'll speak to you next week. See you. Bye. Later. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. science. science.